to everyone who's back out this evening. With Wes, uh, kind of a nasty day, although today was kind of nice. But uh, good to see, nice to see a good turnout, and uh, glad you're here. Turn back with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 14. And uh, I will say that at the very least, I don't know how, how well, I didn't feel like I... Uh, got some of the points across I wanted to get across, at least not as clearly as I wanted to get them. But one thing that uh, last Sunday's lesson did spark was some discussion and some questions, and that's a good thing. So hopefully, um, and I have I've fielded several of your questions, some of you have had some discussions with me about the lesson, and uh, more than likely after we finish tonight, you may even have more questions, so uh, that'll be good in itself. But we'll see. If you do... Please, by all means, come to me with them. Romans 14, as I said last Sunday night, and I'm going to very briefly introduce and then go on to the rest of chapter 14. But I said that this has been a highly controversial passage for at least about 25 years. That doesn't mean it was the first time it was ever controversial, but in the United States, in the Lord's Church, this has been a very controversial passage. And it focuses on or surrounds maybe two main ideas. There are some, and I won't go as elaborately into it as I did last Sunday, but you can go back and listen to it online. But there are some who want to allow, or even condone, is the idea. Surely, and I use the term countenance, which means bearing an expression, at least, of approval or sanction. And they want to do that for those, for those members who are practicing any of a number, and it can be almost anything, but any of a, of a number of doctrinal or moral infractions, and the first time I began seeing this, 25 or a little more years ago, was when the rise of all the marriage, divorce, and remarriage doctrines uh, were being highly debated. And uh, obviously, as the divorce rate climbed, it usually lags behind in the church, but it did, and so we saw that. There's a secondary controversy, and that is usually among those who consider themselves conservative or mainline, at least on the more conservative side, among the more conservative members, and that is when members begin to disagree among themselves about any, and it can be a myriad of practices, but where one person will consider himself or herself to have the correct position, is the words often used, the correct position on something, and thus will approach someone else about it, and I think I gave the example last Sunday night, uh, among a number of things, like the second serving of the, the Lord's table, as you see, prepared up here, and we practice at this place. And so someone will have a correct position and approach another brother who, you know, who believes differently, and there will be a contention among them, and sometimes a person will, will go to Romans 14, even flee to Romans 14, and begin to cry out one side or the other. Either put up with what you don't believe is right or stop doing what you know I believe is wrong. So it's, it's usually that kind of idea. So as we go to Romans 14, I said there were a couple of things to keep in mind. And I think they need to be repeated to set the tone for the rest of chapter 14. And that is, number one, that this address is only to the strong. The weak are not being you might say, addressed here and commanded to take a position, but rather it is the strong 
who are being told how they are to conduct themselves, and I believe because they are strong. The strong are to bear the infirmities of the weak, as was read for us, but it is the strong who are being addressed. Secondly, and more importantly, the Romans 14 is saying these are matters that people do have a doctrinal position about. It is a matter of faith. And what they do, and I stressed this throughout the lesson last week, they do it to the Lord. They yield themselves in submission to the Lord. He is the Lord. He is the judge. And they do what they do because they believe they are doing right as they conduct their lives before the Lord. And that should be honored by the strong, even if we know, and you may find this a difficult uh, statement to accept, but I believe Romans 14 is teaching this, even if we know they're wrong, we still are to look at what they're doing and understand they're doing it in obedience to the Lord, they're bowing to the Lord in what they do, and we need to honor that. That doesn't mean we don't try to teach, and it doesn't mean we don't study together and all those you know, statements we could make. But it's the regard for each other that's being addressed in Romans 14. So let's get back into it. And we had just finished verses 10 through 13. I'm going to read them and then go immediately into the next couple of verses. So start with me in verse 10. Why do you judge your brother? He asked the question. Or why do you set at naught? Which means to look down on or even lessen in your mind your estimation of your brother. He says, for we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us, each of us, shall give account of himself to God. Conclusion, verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another. You remember that judge in the original language carries with it the equal weight of condemn. So I'm not, I'm not just judging something to see what it is, you know, rendering a judgment, but I'm condemning here. So let us therefore not judge one another, but judge this. And here's what I should judge as a Christian. That no man put a stumbling block. Again, this is what you should be most interested in condemning would be the idea. That no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. So if I'm doing something that is causing my brother to fall, to stumble, to fall, to lose his confidence, lose his faith, even if I'm teaching him what's right. Let's go back to the second servant. I have a firm position about the second servant. A number of you do here. In fact, this is probably one doctrine I would guess where we are more equally divided at this place, some of you may not be aware of that, but more equally divided than many other things we do. There are a number of people here who firmly believe and in obedience to their faith, if for some reason they were impeded from coming on Sunday morning, they come back on Sunday evening and they take the Lord's Supper. And there are equally, maybe not equally, I don't know, I don't stop to try to count who, how many believe one thing or the other, but there are a number of people who believe, for example, if the baby was sick this morning, that they are excused from the Lord's Supper 
And they do not come back. You know, they come back on Sunday evening if they can, but they do not come back and take it because they believe it is not what God has commanded. Now, what's being said here is, don't, whatever you do and whatever you believe, don't cause your brother to stumble or put an occasion for him to fail in his faith to God. Now, let's go further with that in the next couple of verses. So read with me verse 14. I know, and I want you to notice what Paul is doing now for the first time. He's saying, I know what's right and what's wrong. And as an apostle, obviously, he would know what's right and what's wrong. I know, and I am persuaded, notice, by the Lord Jesus, that there is nothing unclean of itself. So let's refer back to the beginning of the chapter and the eating of meats And, you know, one is a vegetarian, one eats all meats, and then there's that middle ground where you believe in eating some meats but not other meats. I'd say we have all three positions here at East Orange, incidentally. Paul said, I know and I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteems anything to be unclean, notice this, to him... It is unclean. Now, coming on the heels of what he's just said, here is what he's saying to to these brethren at at Rome. He's saying there is a correct position. I'm an apostle. I know the truth about eating meats. No meat is unclean. You and I could go to verses and we could show that. I mean, the example of, you know, the vision to Peter regarding Cornelius. There is nothing unclean. So you can eat any meat you want to eat. You can eat you know, cow or pig or snail or squirrel or insects running around on the ground. You can eat anything you want to eat. Now, there is nothing unclean. Paul said, I know that. Notice verse 14. And yet, if someone thinks it's unclean, and unclean meaning not just a dirty animal, but God condemns the eating of it, well, to him it's unclean. So be careful, even if you're going to study with him about the eating of meats, be careful how you approach him because you don't want his faith to fail. You, in fact, want it to be stronger. And that's what you have to keep in mind. Now notice as he goes on. If thy brother be grieved, verse 15... With your meat, or really literally in the original, with meat. If he's grieved with food, presumably that you're eating or at least believing in eating. He said, now walkest thou not charitably or with love. Destroy not him with your meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. This is what I believe that Paul is saying. I know that the eating of meat, all meat, is right. But I also know that not everyone has this level of knowledge. And I think he's saying that in verse 15. We have knowledge. Paul, the strong, and I think he's saying this in this chapter. He's addressing the strong. If you're strong, by virtue of definition, you have knowledge. You know things. You've been a member of the church for some length of time, so you learned along the way. You're just older, period. You know, I'm approaching 60 years old and I've been a Christian for 40 years. I ought to know more than I knew when I obeyed the gospel and I was still 17. I should know more. So I know things. Sure, I know things. But that doesn't mean everybody else knows what I know. And that's not because 
you know, necessarily I'm the greatest genius in the room or anything else. But again, I'm nearly 60 and I've been a Christian for 40 of it. I know things. Paul is saying that. We know things. We, strong, know the truth about a lot of things. But we also know that other people don't know what we know. And so my knowledge is not a license to, quote-unquote, destroy. Notice he uses strong language here. To destroy the one who doesn't know. Let's, let's give at least three important points about this passage, the, these three verses. One is, he doesn't know the truth. But notice what Paul has said. He thinks he does. He thinks something is a fact. What might it be? All meat is, you know, that's killing. It's taking a life. Someone told me that just the other day. If you're eating meat, you're taking a life. And that's wrong. I know that's not so. And I know the Bible teaches that is not so. But that individual thinks it is so. Someone else might say it's okay to eat meat, but pig, pork, is an unclean animal. And as I had someone say to me, oh, within the last, nearly two years ago, but within the last two years, pork has always been unclean. Well, it might have been unclean for a long time, you know. And it might be considered by many people to be unclean today. Certainly Muslims and Jews, Orthodox Jews, would still believe it to be unclean. But i got news for you. Some of your brothers and sisters think it's unclean too. And you ought not eat it. Paul said, I know the truth about that. But I also know other people don't have the level of knowledge I have. And they think what is not so is so. So my action, notice as he says it carefully here, if you are not careful with how you deal with the brother who is weaker on this point than you are, you're not walking charitably. You're not walking in love. And a number of your translations will say it that way. My action is to be love, always. I'm always to be loving toward my brother or sister. Even if I disagree with them, and even if I let them know I disagree with them. Now, for example, I named the second servant. I know a lot of you know exactly what I believe about it, but if you don't, you can come and ask me, and we can talk about it. But if we disagree, you are expected to love me even in the disagreement, and I'm expect I would consider myself, and I think, you know, I don't believe this is boastfully saying this, but I would consider myself to be strong, at least generally speaking, doctrinally so. And on that point, I would consider myself to be right. But my action has to be guided by love. Number one, not, and notice the language that's used in these three verses, 14 to 16. Um, not to grieve someone who doesn't hold the same knowledge. And that means to cause him sorrow. To cause him distress, to cough, and it really is an intensified term, so it means deep emotional pain. Now, let me tell you something. If you come up to me and you say, Michael, what do you think about the second servant? I'm going to tell you what I think. And the way I'm going to say it, when I tell you what I think, in the end, what I'm going to say is, that's what I believe for me. 
And what you should do is you should study the passages that have to do with the Lord's Supper, and you should determine what the Lord wants you to do, and you should obey that. And I respect the right of other people to do that when they have the faith that that is what they are supposed to do. Now, if we do that, a person should, if I handle that correctly and we talk about it in the right way, a person should be able to walk away from that, maybe with questions and the desire to go to the Bible and study it, but not having been caused deep emotional pain. However, if someone is especially a new Christian or a young person or someone who's really sincerely trying to do what's right and finds out or learns or hears this sermon and comes to me and, you know, asks, and I treat them in a haughty way. You know, I'm more knowledgeable to you. Do what I say. Etc., etc. Or, if I learn that Everton disagrees with me, for example, or someone disagrees with me, and I go jump on Everton and I say, you know, you really ought to know better than this. And I begin to treat him in a way that is not loving, that can cause him some emotional distress. And really, it doesn't have a lot to do with the belief, does it? It has more to do with the way I treated him in the disagreement. I made him know that he was less in my mind because he doesn't agree with me. I told him that he was not right, that he was wrong. And if he doesn't change it, he's going to continue to be wrong. I didn't allow him to grow in the Lord. I didn't allow him to do what he does to the Lord. I didn't give him that space of time, length of time, that God would give him. I just accused him, condemned him, passed judgment on him, and let him know he will never be up to my standards until he does what I do and thinks how I think. And I think that can cause deep distress to someone. So Paul uses that. Don't grieve him in that sense. Walking charity or loving towards someone means not to destroy him with what I know. You know, there are things that kill people faith-wise, destroy people. They cause severe loss. They even cause a person who is not ready for the doctrine to basically conclude, if that's Christianity, I can never live up to that. I remind people at this point that Jesus knew everything. There wasn't one thing that Jesus did not know, and there was not one thing that Jesus was not doctrinally correct about. I think we'd all agree with that. But it was Jesus himself who looked at a situation, estimated where his brothers were, and said, I have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. Now, am I supposed to follow in the steps of Jesus? And estimate that a person's not ready for that? Or am I just supposed to, any time, as someone has, as many have said to me really over the years, if it's the truth, you have a right to say it. And my answer to that is, no, you do not. A, you don't have a right to say it if it's not in love, because that's what we're commanded to do. 
And B, you don't have a right to say it if you are the strong and you are dress, addressing the weak and they are not able to handle it. Now, that's what God teaches. And so when we look at this passage, let not your good be evil spoken of. Let's back off for a second and say it like this. I built, you remember all of that last week from taking them in, receiving them, as the first part of the chapter talks about? And I said we build a relationship, hopefully a familial relationship, of brothers and sisters, that closeness. Maybe someone comes in to the body of Christ, and we kind of hit it off. You know, we like some of the same things, maybe we share some of the same hobbies. You know, there are people you just... You hit it off with. You get along with. Now, let's say that that individual is much younger than me, maybe in years, maybe certainly in the faith, and I know immediately I've got a rapport with this person. They're listening to me. They're looking up to me. They're following me. They're doing all those things. And that's only natural, and the Bible speaks of it. Now, let's suppose that there is some doctrine like this, and I'm not careful, and I'm not loving. And I impress upon them because of my position, which I see to be higher, and they are lower or less, because of years or whatever. I impress upon them to do what I say. When I've been teaching them, perhaps I'm the one that taught them the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but when I teach someone the gospel, I teach them to obey Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. Michael is not the Lord. Don't do what I say do. Do what Jesus says do. I will try to help you understand what Jesus says do. But in the end, it is you responsible to Jesus. And only Jesus. There's only one Lord. This passage emphasizes that. Now, let's say I've taught them that. And now, all of a sudden, I'm coming to them over some doctrine that's not... You know, we're not talking about the clearest things in the world. Not to a lot of people. It may be clear to you. Because you are strong. But when we start talking about meats and unclean meats and days and all of that kind of thing, a lot of people just are not there. So I come to them and now all of a sudden I'm impressing upon them what I think and I believe. They're asking me, well, you know, what is right about this? And I leave that Jesus says and go to this verse like I did for baptism And now I run over here to what Michael is saying and what Michael thinks. And I may not even, I may have put together a lot of principles and ideas to reach my conclusion because, hey, I've had 40 years at this. But I can't just go to a verse, you know, and that's what a young Christian is looking for, and it says, do this, and in that plain language. And so they're bringing with them all kinds of things that are affecting their belief about what it is they do. And now I've left the Lord, and it's over here with, well, I just know, and this is what you should do. I just know it because, hey, I'm strong, and you're not. I know it because, hey, I'm older, and you're younger. I know it because, hey, I'm the strong, and you're the weak here. So do it because I tell you to do it. You see, Paul is addressing that and saying, you've got to back up for a minute. And you've got to realize that what's more important here today, with this weak brother, 
What's more important than you being right and him being wrong and you convincing him that you're right and he is wrong, what's more important is his obedience to the Lord over the lifetime and the Lord being the Lord. And what's more important here is that his growing faith, fragile as it may be, is not destroyed. Let's go to verses 17 through 19. Because believe it or not, and, I, and I'm inclined to say it that way. And I think Paul is saying it here. So believe it or not, verse 17, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. But righteousness, he says, and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now I think this is one of many and I don't want to get off in a grammatical lesson, but there is something in the original language called the not-but construction. And that is when you have, a, you have two clauses like this, and again, I don't want to get too deep into it, but when you have two clauses and it's saying, not this, but this. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.17. It means not only to baptize... And we get carried away with baptized, 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 baptized. Well, it's not only baptism. But in the greater sense, it's the gospel of which baptism is part. Well, I think that's what he's saying here. The kingdom of God is not only meat and drink. So what does that mean? Does that mean there are doctrines in the Bible about what you can eat and what you can drink? Yeah, there are. Wes even had in his lesson this morning, he was talking about how they broke down, you know, out on the battlefield and they began to eat blood. God had commandments against eating blood. God has a commandment against that in Acts chapter 15. There are laws about eating and drinking. Not a lot. Not many. Especially in Christianity, you know, it's now so many things have not, have been included in the you can eat it category. But there still are some laws. So, the gospel, the kingdom, has to do certainly with what you can eat and drink. It does. But not only that. It also has to do with things that we tend to forget. Righteousness. What is just right here? I mean, if I'm in a situation where I know that you don't have to be a vegetarian... But I also know that it would be easy to come to the Lord's church and people do believing that you should be. Especially in our day, a lot of people, you know, believe in being a vegetarian for all kinds of reasons. But I know the truth about that. But you see, what Paul is saying is, don't forget the kingdom is about what's right. How would Jesus treat that vegetarian that just walked up to him? Do we see Jesus... Pausing, you know, in the midst of the big things, as we tend to call them, and saying, hey, you know, you've got this little problem over here, and I'm going to get on to you for that. We just don't. We see just the opposite. There will be a time, but not now, because you can't bear it now. You see, people tend toward extremes. We all do. And if you care, I mean, think about it. Someone said this to me a long time ago. Think about the nature of what it means to be a Christian, a real child of God. You you believe in this book, where most people don't. You believe in book, chapter, and verse in this book, where most people don't. You believe everything in it is the Word of God, where most people don't. You see how weird you are? (laughs) We are a weird group of people to start with. 
And the only people that really ever are attracted to the truth and to the gospel and to the Lord's church are people that actually care about what's right and wrong. They're not just in it for the good time and the good show and to be, you know, to feel good and to leave this place feeling good. They really want to know what's right and do what's right. And so in that sense, we are disadvantaged people. Now, not really. But given our human nature where we tend toward extremes, you've got your beliefs, I've got my beliefs, and I would promise you that this is probably the case. I think it is. We could go around this room and I could give you a questionnaire of a hundred different things and I could say, tell me what you think about this. Which position do you hold about this and this and this and this and this? Everything from clothing to eating to drinking to the second serving to instrumental music to anything under the sun. You probably would not believe. And if we tallied that all up and I said, all right, out of these hundred things... And uh, 60 people that are here, let's see how many of us agree on all 100 things. How many people you figure would be standing together? None. I mean, if there were, it would be the rarest of rare. So what Paul is saying is you have to keep that in mind. The gospel is not just the meat doctrines. It's also the big things. Jesus said it like this. Go over to Matthew 23 and look there beginning in verse 23. Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Hypocrites. You tithe of mint and anise and cumin. Little spices. You get down on your knees and you pluck one leaf off for the Lord and nine leaves off for yourself. But you have omitted the bigger things. The weightier matters of the law. And then you notice he goes on to say these Ought you to have done? Is it right for me to care about whether every meat can be eaten? Of course it is. Is it right for me to care about the second serving? And if I'm sick this morning, whether or not I ought to take it when we come back at 4 o'clock, if I can make it? Of course it is. It is not that God is saying, be like everybody else out there and just be willing to embrace everything. You know, talking about that here. And that's where some brethren have missed it. No, he's talking about how you treat and how you embrace or receive brethren who disagree. That's what he's talking about. Because the, the kingdom of God is not just the meat doctrines. It's not just the extremes. It's not just the tiniest of spice plants to tear one out of ten leaves off of. It is that. But it's not only that. And when you get to the point that all of the gnats You see, the little tiny detailed things, you strain them and strain them, like putting them through a net and then a finer net and then a finer net still. So you can be right about that, but in the meantime, you swallow the camels. You ain't loving anymore. You don't really care about your brother, whether or not he's destroyed or, as we say today, blown out because of the way you treated him. And Jesus would be saying, hypocrite, you're straining at the gnats and forgetting, swallowing the camels. And that's what Paul is saying here. And so Paul goes on to say it like this. He that in these things, notice all of them, meat and drink and righteousness and peace and joy, everything. He that in these things serves Christ 
not yourself, but only Christ, is acceptable and really even approved of by men. Notice verse 19. Let us therefore follow after things which make for peace. I think that's the idea. We don't need to have a lesson or even a long part of this lesson on the fact that as Christians we are supposed to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. If we turn back a page in Romans 12, as much as lies in you, verse 19, be at peace, live at peace with all men. Provide things honorable in the sight of all men. So Paul has already said that. Now he's simply repeating. You see, those are the things we are supposed to be striving for. And having to do with our quarter, notice. And things wherewith one may edify another. I want to build my brother up in the faith. I don't want to tear him down. I want his faith to grow. And I want to help it grow. And I want him to help me to grow. And if I humble myself and I realize that we all can grow in some area, some place. Even Paul here, I know the truth about meats. Yeah, of course he did. But it would be that same Paul who a couple of years later, less than five anyway, would say in Philippians 3, I haven't made it yet. I'm still reaching, trying to grab it. You and I, we need each other. Sometimes you need the three-year-old to remind you of what you forgot 25 years ago. You know? And even Jesus said that, of course. So the idea here is, be a peacemaker. Care about your brother. Now, he's going to draw it to a conclusion here, so let's do the same thing. Go down with me to verse 20. But it's so easy to forget, verses 20 and 21. Meat does not destroy the work of God. I've read articles by extremists who would tell you if women didn't get wearing the covering or the hat right, the kingdom was going to be destroyed. And there are others still who will tell you, brethren, giving way to the second sermon is going to destroy the church. Or they might talk about this doctrine or that doctrine or this belief or that practice or this leniency or that leniency in the part, in the hearts and the minds of brethren. And the church is always going to end. If brethren don't get this thing right and they don't get that thing right and they don't do this and they don't do that, it's going to destroy the kingdom of God. Listen to Paul. Meat does not destroy the work of God. And that is true in general and it is, in true, and it is true individually. The only way that eating meat or anything else that I might choose to eat or drink will destroy me is when I don't care. When I'm willing to say, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I don't care if it's right or wrong, and I really don't care what anybody else thinks about it, then it can destroy you. And a church filled with people who don't care, it can destroy that church. But as long as you have brethren who care, and as long as I, as the strong, let's just say we all want to feel like we are, so... I consider myself to be strong as long as I am more concerned with my weaker brother growing in the faith, that his faith keeps progressing, and that he keeps obeying the Lord, and what the Lord believes and what the Lord thinks is important. We're going to be fine, even if for a little while he doesn't believe what I believe. Meat does not destroy the work of God, he says. In fact, all things indeed are pure. 
But it is evil for that man who eats with offense. Now you'll notice, that kind of describes the kind of thing we're talking about here. We're not talking about the things that are in and of themselves vile and evil. And we all know it. You know, let's take the extreme. What did I read? Uh, Yeah, a guy had uh, twin infant daughters here two or three weeks back. Raped and killed one. She was less than a year old. Who anywhere thinks that's pure? We're not talking about those things. We're talking about these kinds of things. We're talking about the one who chooses to be a vegetarian and another one who chooses to eat any and every meat. We're talking about those kinds of things, and as long as that individual, again, does it in faith to the Lord, it is pure in their mind, etc., nothing's being destroyed here. Notice verse 21. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to think, or, or, nor to drink wine. And it, let me back up reading. I know I read it wrong. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby your brother stumbles, or is offended, or is made weak. Now that's kind of summing it up here. And here is what he's saying. He's talking about the individual that stumbles. That's the idea of he's... Something's put in his way and he trips over it. He's talking about the individual who's offended, which means he actually takes a fall. And it may be with respect to what he thinks is right. It may be with respect toward the individual that comes at him in the wrong way. Or is weak. And that's the end result. That's the individual, the one who is weak, who has literally, from the original, he has doubt now. You have created doubt. Not in a good way. But in a bad way, you've made him doubt you, or even worse, you've made him doubt the Lord. And so here's what he would say to you, 22. Do you have faith? Are you strong? Do you have faith? Do you have a position? For example, the second serving. We picked on that all night. Let's stay with it. Do you have faith about that? Do you know what you believe is right about taking the second serving? Do you have faith? Have it to yourself. Whoa, wait a minute, Paul. What are you saying there? He is saying that we each are a priest. We each are accountable to God. And in the end, what is most important is that I do what I do in obedience to the Lord. Even if I'm wrong. And yes, you heard me say that. Because what's most important, and I say this to people all the time, don't violate your conscience. God would not want you to violate your conscience. God would not want you to ruin that beautiful thing that He put in us to tell us, Hey, Michael, don't do that. Because you can. No. If you have faith, you have it to yourself, notice, before God. Blessed is the one, happy is he that condemns not himself in that thing which he allows. I know what I believe, I know why I believe it, And as long as I know why I believe what I believe, I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing. Now, on the other hand, verse 23, he that doubts, he that doubts is damned if he eats. So wait a minute, Paul, let me get this straight. You know it's okay to eat meat. Paul would say yes. But you're saying to the vegetarian who thinks he's supposed to be a vegetarian... 
If you're not sure about it and you eat the piece of meat that Paul, you know, is right. That he is condemned, damned by God for eating it. That's right. Because you see, that's how much God wants you to do what your conscience says do. Have a clear conscience, a good conscience. So even when you're wrong, you could stand up like Paul and say, I've lived in all good conscience to this day. That doesn't mean stop studying, stop learning, stop growing and getting different positions about things as you understand them. But right now, where you are, do what you know to do and don't do something if you have doubts about it. No matter if I think it or Wes thinks it or anybody else here thinks it, you just obey God. So we then, chapter 15, verse 1, we then that are strong, that's who he's addressing. We ought to bear the infirmities, the weaknesses, literally, of the weak. We need to bear them, you see, because they can't bear them themselves. We have to be the ones who forbear, put up with things. That's what God does. We have to be the ones who gently lead the young person, the child in the faith along, because that's what God does. We have to be the one who's loving and bigger and stronger and the full-grown, mature individual about this thing, because that's what God would do. We ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. And I suspect that to go to someone with knowledge, I just suspect this, given, and maybe I'm the only one like this, but I like knowing things. I like knowing that I'm right about things. And when I'm in a conversation with someone and I know what the truth is, and even as they're talking, I know here and here and right here, and here's the answer. I like that. But I tell you what I don't feel good about is when I beat somebody else up with it and they weren't strong enough to handle it. Because that's bullying. And there's a great difference in being strong and protecting the weak and bullying the weak. And so that's what he's saying. Let every one of us please his neighbor to his good, you see. When you're strong, that's what you care about. We need to come out of this situation and he needs to be better off for it. To his good, to edification. He needs to be built up in the faith. Because really what I want is for that individual to grow so we're both strong. That's when the kingdom is advantaged. Even Christ did not please himself. And thank God, literally, that he did not. We talked all morning about the hindrances and the pain and the suffering and the tired fatigue and all of that. And we all thought about Jesus all morning long in the service. What if Jesus had just bullied and jumped on people? Struck everybody dead when he had the ability to do it. Said, no, I'm not going through this. I'm not putting up with that. No, Christ didn't do that. It wasn't his way of doing things. And so Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, I want you to notice the phraseology here. The reproaches of them that reproached you, God, fell on me. Because the, the strong shoulder the responsibility, you see. It is my responsibility. 
if I'm strong. I'll let that sink in. If you have questions, comments, you want to take a look at it further, I will be more than happy to do that, either in individual study or if it's, uh, you know, certain questions, etc., I might even bring it up publicly. But maybe you're here tonight and you're not a child of God. Went a little bit over tonight. Apologize for that. But all of this lesson was to say, our Lord is Jesus. If you believe He's the Son of God and you want to confess that and give your life to Him, that's what we want. If you're willing to change your life, and it will be a lifetime of growth, but you're willing to change your life and live your life for Jesus. If you'll be baptized, your sins will be washed away. He will be your Lord, and you begin your walk with Him. Maybe you're here, and you kind of slip back from that, and you just want to ask for the prayers of the people here. And that certainly is our always right to do. Please come. While we stand and sing.